Well, I wanted to start out this morning by making a statement, and that statement is this. If you can't beat them, join them. You guys ever heard that statement? Yeah, it's like one of those statements, kind of interesting when you think about it. It basically gives you two positions of view. One view is like, okay, so I can either, you know, be pushing against somebody, beating them, you know, uh, separating myself out, uh, being against something, or I can join them. I can, you know, I can give up and just be whatever and go with the flow. And I think that statement actually describes pretty well the two views that we have as Christians when it comes to the world that is around us. We think, you know, we have one of two positions. We either kind of separate ourselves out from the very godless society that's around us, or we just jump in, you know, God's grace will abound in the midst of our, our chaos and our sin. And what I want it for us to look at today is a different path, because I think that our hero lays out perfectly for us a different path, a path that honors God, God in the midst of a godless society. And so we're really essentially going to look at this concept and this theme of, you know, what does it look like to be different and, and, to, um, and to honor God in the middle of, of a situation where you don't really fit in. I don't know if you guys have ever had the experience of feeling like you don't fit in. I was thinking back over my experiences in my life and one that just came out to, in my mind really quickly was one where Liz and I were pretty newly married and we were living in Houston and I had a friend that was traveling through, um, from, a friend from Australia that was traveling through, and she was going to be visiting Houston. And we're like, oh, we should meet up. Now, she was a part of this big, massive girls' Christian conference thing. And she's like, hey, why don't you come down to, you know, the thing we're doing, and, and I'll take you backstage. You can meet all these Christian celebrities and all this stuff. You know, I'm like, okay, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. So we head down, Liz and I, to the Toyota Center, uh, which for those of you who don't realize, that's where the Houston Rockets play. It's a big stadium. That's where this event was being put on. And I walk into the stadium and I felt probably one of the most awkward feelings I've ever felt in my life because I was this one guy amongst thousands, like literally thousands of teenage girls. And it was like these eyes were just staring through me like, who's he? What's he doing here? You know, like all these thoughts and accusations coming at me. And I remember feeling completely in that moment like a fish out of water. And what I want you to see today is the hero that we're going to talk about really essentially was a fish out of water. He didn't fit in, and yet in the midst of that, he lives this amazing and faithful life. So we're going through this hero series, and we're talking about, you know, how do these Old Testament figures really not just tell us amazing stories and kind of give us a little bit of inspiration, but essentially, how do they point us towards Jesus? Because if you've been tracking along with us through this series so far, we've talked about this because oftentimes we look at these Old Testament figures and, and we're like, oh yeah, that's a nice story of David and Goliath or Noah and the ark or Moses and the Red Sea. But we don't really give thought to the fact that these guys essentially were pointing us towards Jesus. And so as we've gone through this series, I feel like it's been a really kind of interesting exploration, asking that question of how do these Old Testament heroes of faith point us to Jesus, and doing that through the context of Hebrews 11. And we've already mentioned this, but Hebrews 11 is called or is dubbed the Hall of Faith. And it's called that because it's got this list of Old Testament characters and how they lived faithful and God-fearing lives in the midst of a world that really wasn't that way. And so as we look through there, I want for us to go back to Hebrews 11 this morning before we jump back into the Old Testament. We're going to have a look at Hebrews 11 and, and kind of start out where we started a few weeks ago. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to grab one. Hebrews 11, 
chapter 32. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seats in front of you if you want to read along with it. And the word should also be on the screen. Hebrews 11.32 says this, And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. So basically, the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, these people were incredible. You've got to see what they did. And I don't have time to tell you about all that happened, but you've got to understand that God did these incredible things through these men. And I don't know if you picked up on it there, but there is a, a mention there of the hero we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a guy named Daniel and the story of him and some lions. And it mentions him there by association. It says, shut the mouths of lions. Now, if we skip back down to verse 39, it kind of wraps up what the author is trying to say here. Verse 39 of Hebrews 11 says this, All these, so all these people that have been listed out in the Old Testament, were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, so that they would not be made perfect without us. What does that mean? That's kind of an interesting phrase, right? That uh, they hadn't, God had provided something better for us. Well, really quickly, as we, as we get here, ready to set up the context for this conversation about Daniel today, I want for us to zoom back out. So imagine that we're going to take a, a big level picture look at the Old Testament and think about this with me. So if you look through the Old Testament history, you've got uh, the fall, okay? That's when Adam and Eve fell into sin, okay? So they, they're in the garden, they choose to disobey God. And we call that the fall. So after that period of time, we have a period of time in, in Bible history that we call the post-fall narratives. That sounds complicated, but basically all narratives just mean stories. Okay, so that's with the period of time in which you get somebody like Noah. And if you look at the life of Noah, yes, he was a faithful man and he obeyed God, but he wasn't enough to mend the brokenness between humanity and God. He was a hero, but he wasn't enough of a hero to make things right, right? And so you go into the next period of time and you've got what we call the, uh, we call the post, sorry, the patriarchal narratives. Again, two big words, but essentially all that means is the forefathers, the story of the forefathers of faith. So that's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of those guys. And again, you look at their lives, they're very faithful men, and yet their lives, they weren't enough. Their lives of faithfulness and their families weren't enough to make things right between humanity and God. And so the story of the Bible goes on and you've got the period of the Exodus, you know, people like Moses and Joshua, the giving of the law, and then on into the judges, these dynamic leaders. But again, these dynamic leaders weren't enough to make things right between humanity and God. This sin was still an issue. They were heroes, but not enough of a hero. And so this anticipation is building as we go through the story. You go on to the next part of the story. You've got the, the kings, the era of the kings. And as we look at these amazing men like David and, and uh, Solomon, and you look at their lives, they're very cool men. But again, they're not enough to make things right between God and humanity. You go finally onto the period of the prophets. And again, a very interesting time in which God's speaking directly through these men, speaking truth. And yet... 
these prophets weren't enough to make things right between humanity and God. And it's like if you look at the Old Testament, it's like this story's just building and building. It's like we're crossing things off the list, realizing that these dynamic leaders, these kings, these prophets weren't enough to make us right with God. And so as the anticipation builds, finally there's this period of silence, and then Jesus comes on the scene. And so if we do a really quick Old Testament into New Testament survey, what you're going to see is that as Jesus comes on the scene, we're going to realize that the Old Testament heroes create anticipation for the ultimate hero, Jesus. And so when verse 40 of Hebrews 11 says God had provided something better for us, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about Jesus. And so our hope and our prayer is that if you walk away with anything from this series, you would understand that these Old Testament figures, these Old Testament characters are all about pointing us to Jesus. We can see Jesus through the pages of the Old Testament and it's beautiful to see. So let's jump into talking about Daniel. Daniel's an interesting character. Here's a little bit bit of background on him. Daniel uh, is a Hebrew name, and it means God is my judge. Now, he also had a second name that was given to him. That second name was Belteshazzar. Uh, kind of an interesting one. Put that on your baby name list if you're working on one of those. Uh, Belteshazzar, actually don't put it on your list because it means Prince of Bel. It's a, it's a Babylonian name and Bel was a pagan god, so don't put that on your list. But uh, anyway, that was his second name. Uh, he was born roughly 600 years before Christ and he was born during the reign. He was born in Jerusalem in the reign of King Josiah. And if you were to look at the book of Daniel, there's two, uh, there's two halves to it, basically. You've got the first six chapters, and they're all about the story, the narrative of Daniel. And then the last six chapters, chapters 7 through 12, are these prophecies. And some of those prophecies have been fulfilled. Some of them have yet to be fulfilled. It's kind of a very interesting book, a lot of symbolism and wording that's really interesting. So that's how the book of Daniel is divided up. There's several great stories from Daniel's life that we could focus in on today, but I figured rather than trying to cover all of them and really go nowhere, I figured it would be better for us to focus in on one particular story, and I, I figured the best story for us to join in and look at would be the one that's mentioned in Hebrews 11, that one of Daniel and the lions. And I know that some of you from a church background especially are probably like, well, yeah, I know this story pretty well. But let's take a fresh look at it today. Would you just commit with me to, to thinking, okay, we're going to take a fresh set of eyes to this story this morning. So to get us ready to talk about this, I need to give you a quick overview because this story is found in Daniel 6. You can actually be turning there if you'd like to in your Bibles. Daniel 6. But I want to give you a quick like 60-second overview. I'll try to keep it to 60 seconds of Daniel's life because this is happening at the very back end of Daniel's life. A lot's happened before this. So what happens is Daniel is this young man. He's born in Israel. Um, He's born in Jerusalem and he is taken from that as a young man, probably in his like young teenage years. He's taken and he's exiled. We'll talk about this in a moment. Exiled to a kingdom called Babylon. Now that would have been a long like several month hike across the desert. Babylon and Jerusalem are a long way apart. Uh, Essentially, there was this crazy king called Nebuchadnezzar who was taking over the known world at that time, creating this amazing empire. And he came and captured Jerusalem as one of his cities. Daniel's hauled off and he's placed into the service of the king. He's trained up in the ways of the Babylonians. Daniel decides to live a life of faithfulness to God in spite of the fact that all this bad stuff's happened to him. And as he does that... 
God blesses him. If you read Daniel's life, you see God's hand on him time and time again. There's many stories of God's faithfulness to, to him. One of those stories is uh, all the advisors and, and wise men in the country are about to get killed because Nebuchadnezzar is freaking out about this dream that he has. And Daniel comes in and by God's power interprets the dream. And uh, Daniel's promoted to being like one of the chief advisors in the whole kingdom because of that. God uses him and has his favor, favor and blessing all over Daniel's life. Uh, Daniel's life goes on. Nebuchadnezzar passes away. And Daniel continues to be there in Babylon. But he kind of, he kind of fades to the background until one day the new guy who's ruling the scene has a hand. This is a crazy story. This hand comes and writes on a wall. Imagine if that happened. That's like a pretty good horror movie right there, right? This hand writes on the wall in a script that nobody can understand. They're like, who can interpret this? And somebody's like, there's this guy named Daniel. He can probably do it. So they bring Daniel out. He's an older gentleman at this point. And Daniel interprets it and says, you know, what it says is you've been weighed and you've been found wanting. And tonight the kingdom's going to be taken from you. And that very night, the Babylonian Empire was taken over by the Persian Empire craziness and not not that's not just the crazy part Daniel goes from being an advisor in the Babylonian empire to being an advisor in the Persian empire God's favor and blessing is all over Daniel's life and so that's where we're going to pick up the story tonight uh, today is just where uh, that transfer has happened between the Babylonians and the Persians okay a lot of context but let's jump into the story it's a really cool story Daniel 6 verse 1 let's read Daniel decided to appoint 120 satrap... Sorry, let's start again. Darius. I've been talking about Daniel too much. Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom stationed throughout the realm and over them three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. The administrators and the satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, We will never find any charge against Daniel, against this Daniel, unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. Now, I want to just pause there and note with you guys that this is pretty incredible. Daniel is an incredibly faithful man. I don't know if you kind of got the gist of that from the story, but he was trustworthy. He was dependable. I mean, he so distinguished himself that the king's like, I'm going to put this guy in charge of my whole kingdom. He's an incredible man. He's living a faithful life, very involved in the culture. But I think one of the things we quickly forget in his life is that Daniel was a fish out of water. Remember we started out talking about fish out of water? Daniel was a fish out of water. Now let me go back and explain that a little bit. So Daniel was born in Jerusalem. He was born into a world and trained up as a very young man in a world that was a monotheistic World. Now, what that simply means is mono, singular, theistic God. He was brought up in this world that believed that there was one God, Yahweh, the one true God. And so he's, he's in this culture, in this world where that's all that he knew, that's what he's trained up in. And then he's taken from that. He's 
literally torn from that culture and dumped, placed inside this culture which is polytheistic, meaning many gods. It's pluralistic, meaning anything goes. It was a very wild pagan society. He's taken from that and placed inside of that. And that would have been a very difficult and disrupting thing to happen to this young man, for him to go through that process and that journey. And not just him, but the other exiles that were with him. And so if you think, and if you look at the account of Daniel's life, especially in the first few chapters of Daniel, and then you also look at the the dual account that we have of the prophet Jeremiah, who lived at the same time, Jeremiah 29. If you look through a letter that's written to the exiles in in Babylon at that time, what we start to see is this picture of these, these exiles that are living there in Babylon, and they have these two views that they're battling with. One of their views is, yeah, okay, so we're here in Babylon. Why don't we just, we can't beat them, let's just join them. That was one of the views they had. Let's just assimilate into the culture that we've been dumped inside of. And then there was this other group of these uh, Israelite exiles that were like, no, that culture is bad. We must, you know, we've got to pray against it. We've got to work against it. This, this, this thing is nasty. Like, we've got to separate ourselves out from this culture. And so you have these two views that everybody either thought, these exiles thought that they either had to assimilate or separate from the culture. And yet what Daniel does is he does what God commands his people in Jeremiah 29, and he lives this life of distinctiveness amongst the people. And so what I want you to see there, you fill in the blank, is Daniel lived distinctively amongst the culture. There was this third option that the people weren't really weighing up, and I believe it's a third option that we're called to live in also, in that we too live in a world and a culture that is very pagan. I mean, in a lot of ways, like there's a whole bunch of different views and thoughts and ideologies on how you should live, you know, whatever path is right for you. We live in this world that's very different from the, the view that we as, as Christ followers hold in a lot of ways. And yet we're not called to separate out from that culture, have a little holy huddle or a Christian clique or whatever you want to call it. We're not also called to just join in with the, the nastiness of our culture. We're called to live distinctively amongst the culture as Daniel was. And if you ask me, I think the main heroic act in Daniel's life was that he lived a life, his entire life, distinctively amongst the people as a believer, amongst the people who, of unbelievers. And some of you may be thinking, okay, yeah, that's, I get that. That's kind of cool. So how do, I, how do I do that? Well, if you look at Jeremiah 29, which again, that's a letter from God to the people in exile. What God instructs the people who are exiles there to do, he tells them to pray for the city and to seek the peace of the city. Jeremiah 29.7. It's a really interesting read if you want to check it out. Jeremiah 29, because it's a good cross-reference here. But just think about that with me. So I think if we apply that to our lives and our context, I think that's a good word. Like a good word for us to think, yeah, as I'm, I'm living here in this world and culture, I'm not to just be like you know, avoiding the people around me, my neighbors, my, my co-workers, my family who aren't Christians, who don't see the world the same way I see it. But it doesn't mean that I need to just jump in with them either. Look at Daniel's life. He was totally involved in the culture. I mean, he, he was informing the culture. He was one of the leaders in their culture. He was an advisor to the king, and yet he was distinguished amongst his peers I want to read again for you what they said. We will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. He was distinguished. He was distinctive because of the way 
that he lived amongst them. So the story goes on. If you read through verse 6 through 9, what you see that happens next is these other leaders, they go off to the king and they're like, hey king, we have this great idea. What if nobody prays to anybody for the next 30 days unless they're praying to you? And if they do, we'll kill them in a den of lions. And so the king's like, you know what? That actually sounds like a good idea. So he decides to sign it into law. Now what you've got to understand is when something was signed into law in the Persian culture, it was unchangeable. And Daniel realizes this, and what we're going to see is Daniel's reaction in verse 10. Let's go to verse 10. It says this, When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in the upper room opened towards Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. And then they scuttled off to the king to tell him, right? Now, what I want to do is take a pause here and just think about this. Daniel knew where ultimate authority lay. Daniel didn't have things backwards. Daniel didn't have things confused. And you've got to understand that this is pretty significant because Daniel realized the consequences of, of his actions. He realized that by doing what he was doing, by disobeying the law, he was most likely going to die. He understood the authority and the power that these ki- this, this king had. I mean, he'd, been, he'd lived very closely to Nebuchadnezzar and Darius. These are two of the most powerful men that have ever lived. I mean, these are guys that would like off with his head and, you know, somebody was dead or into the fiery furnace. They had all these weird punishments. But these are powerful men with a lot of authority. I mean, if anybody was to get this authority thing backwards, it, Daniel had a good reason to be like, well, you know what? I'm going to pray with the windows closed today. You know what I mean? In my closet. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hide out. But no, he decides to continue to obey his God because he knew where ultimate authority lay, even though he knew it may cost him his life. I don't know if you've ever got authority backwards in your life, but I definitely have it different times in my life. Uh, one time, this is definitely, I wasn't, didn't have life and death on the line, but there was this one time when I was living in Houston uh, where I had a situation. Basically, my boss at the time, um, his name started with N and rhymed with Nick Shock. Um, he, uh, he left and uh, I was left in Houston all alone, which I was kind of sad about because they were bringing a new boss in to be my boss in Houston. And uh, my boss, new boss came in and, you know, we were just trying to figure each other out. Like, I don't know if you guys have been in the position where you have a new boss before, but it was kind of this dance going back and forth. And I was trying to figure out who he was. He was trying to figure out who this crazy Australian he had on staff was. And anyway, this, this thing was going back and forth. One day I went into his office and we had this pretty frank conversation. I was, you know, talking to him and I, I guess I was talking around this subject, but essentially what I was saying to him was, how do I please you? I don't feel like I can do anything to please you. How can I make you happy? You're my new boss. I don't get you. How do I please you? And in this conversation, thankfully, he was wise enough to see through all of that. And he stopped me in the middle of the conversation. And he said, hey, Harley, I think you've got this backwards. He's like, are you trying to please me? Because this shouldn't be about pleasing me. We're here working in a church. I worked in a student ministry at the time. He's like, we're working here at a church serving God. You should be worried about pleasing God, not me. And you've got to understand that, you you know, you're answering to him, not to me. And it was one of those defining conversations. I was like really reprimanded in that point of my life. But I remember just going home and being like, he's right. 
I've got this backwards. I'm a people pleaser and I've got this backwards. I've got new boss and God down here, you know. How backwards did I get that so quickly? And I remember in that, that moment really being convicted of that. Thankfully, that boss went, and I have gone on to become really great friends. He continues to be one of my great friends. But uh, I just remember that awkward moment when I got authority backwards. And I'm sure in your life there have been moments, or even right now you may be in a moment where you're struggling to think about who has authority in your life. Maybe you worry more about your, your co-workers or your family or your friends and what they think than what God thinks of you. And so I just want to encourage you, like Daniel, we need to remember where ultimate authority lies. Well, the story continues on. And if we read through the next part of the story, these guys, these baddies, that's what you call bad guys, right? Baddies, they scuttle off to the king, and they go up to the king, and they're like, hey, king, guess what? You know that, uh, that Hebrew, that Daniel guy? Well, uh, he's praying, and uh, it's not to you, and you're going to have to kill him. So the, the, the king in this moment finally realizes he's been tricked, right? And so he's pretty mad about it, and he tries to find a way. He works all day trying to find a way around this law that he's put in place. He finally comes to the conclusion there's no way to get around this law. And so what ends up happening is he has to take Daniel down to this lion's den. Again, peculiar punishment. But he takes Daniel down to this lion's den and he says, Hey, Daniel, I really pray that this God that you serve is able to save you. And he says, I have to do this. And he lowers his friend Daniel down into this lion's den and they seal a rock over the mouth of the cave and, and they put literally a seal on it so nobody can open it without the king's authority. And the king goes back and he can't sleep, he doesn't eat, and he wakes up the first thing in the morning and that's where we're going to pick up the story in verse 19 as we continue reading. At the the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? When Daniel spoke with the king, Sorry, then Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. They haven't hurt me, for I was found innocent before him. Also, I have not committed a crime against you, my king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. Now what happens next is, is the king then takes these guys who tricked him and he pushes them into the lion's den. And the, and the scriptures tell us before they even got to the ground that these guys are torn apart by these lions. So these weren't some overfed lions who just decided not to eat one night. This was a miracle. And the cool thing is Darius the king is standing there seeing all of this happen. Okay, so the most powerful man in the world at the time is seeing all of this happen right in front of his eyes. And I want you to see his reaction in verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who live on all the earth. May your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. For he has rescued Daniel from the power of of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Now, if I was to take that last part of the scripture where he's just, you know, kind of going on a rant about how good God is, if I was to take that out of context and just read it to you this morning, wouldn't you think that was one of the Psalms? 
Like, doesn't it sound like one of the Psalms that we read from time to time? Like, read it with me. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders. That sounds like a Psalm, right? But we quickly forget that this is a pagan king, a self-centered pagan king who's making this declaration. And so what I want for us to see and understand here is that Daniel's obedience brought great glory to God. And the same is true in our lives. When we live lives of obedience in front of a world that doesn't know or understand God, it can't do anything but bring glory to God. It's interesting to note that Daniel didn't have, you know, a revelation from God where he knew he wasn't going to get eaten by lions. You know, realistically, the guy probably was like, you know, God, I've lived a good life, and if this is the way I go, just honoring you, eaten by lions, so be it. And yet God saves him. Daniel's obedient to the point of death. God saves him and great glory is brought to God because this proclamation is sent out through the entire known world at that time because of Daniel's faithfulness. And so I just want to describe to you this morning that as we trust in God in a culture that denies him we too can bring glory to God as we trust in him in the face of situations that scare us in the face of situations that that uh, seem overwhelming seem too big you've got to understand that we too can bring God glory in our obedience to him now I want for you to think with me of all the heroes that we've talked about so far I believe that Daniel is one of the easiest for us to look at his life and be like, oh yeah, Daniel, that's really cool. Like, and look at his life and, and take his, his story in isolation without really applying it to the greatest story of the Bible. Now let me explain that a little bit. If you look at Daniel's life, it's easy for us to jump into it and be like, oh man, Daniel was really wise. Uh, I need to be wise like Daniel. Or, or Daniel was really submitted to God. Yeah, I need to submit to God. Or Daniel trusted in God in face of death by lines. I need to face my fears because as Americans or as Western people what we do is we we look at, at God's word and we're always asking this question of what's in it for me that's the American question right that's the Western question that we're always asking ourselves and so we jump straight to the application without realizing that it's not in and of our own power that we are good All Daniel does is not give us an inspiration on how to be better people. What Daniel gives us is a light and a foreshadowing to somebody greater who can live the perfect life for us. And his name is Jesus. And so if we look at those things, yes, Daniel was wise just as Jesus is wise. Daniel was submitted to God just as Jesus is submitted to God. I mean, you want to talk about submission, yeah. Daniel was obedient to death, so was Jesus. Jesus is there in the Garden of Gethsemane, about to die for the sins of the world, to be hung on a cross, to be beaten and hung on a cross. And he says to God, God, if you can take this cup away from me, please do it. But not my will, yours be done. That's submission right there, right? Daniel trusted God in the face of death by lions, just as Jesus trusted God facing the lion of death. In that moment of death, uh, when he's faced with that, he says, you know, think of him on the cross. What he says is, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's the darkest moment in Jesus' life. Um, and, And yet he still trusts God. He says, I commit, I trust my spirit to you, God. 
And so what I want you guys to see here this morning is let's not jump to all these conclusions about how we can be better people in, you know, because we want to be like Daniel. Let's see how Christ can move through our lives and help us to honor him in the lives that we live. So what do we do with all this, these things that we've talked about today? How do, we, how do we wrap this up? Well, if you're not a Christ follower, my encouragement would be to you that you would realize today. So if you're not a Christian or if, you're not, if you don't know where you stand with Jesus, if you don't know what you think about Jesus yet, that's, it's great that you're here. Thank you for enjoy, joining us and engaging in this conversation. But my encouragement to you today would be that you would realize that there is one true God. That like the king, King Darius, that you would come to this moment of realization that, yeah, this, this thing is for real. And it's so cool to see that king move from this, you know, maybe this God can save you, Daniel, to like making this declaration. He is the one true, true God. His kingdom knows no end. You know, he's making this declaration. He's moved from being a person of just being an observer to being a believer. And my prayer for you today is if you're not a Christ follower, that you would make that step today, that you'd move from being an observer to being a believer and understanding that God has been working throughout all of history to reconcile you to himself. Remember we talked about the history of of the Old Testament earlier. Isn't it cool to think that you too are a part of that story here as we live and we wait in anticipation of Jesus' return? Now, if you are a Christ follower, I do pray that you would be inspired by Daniel's life. I pray that you would be inspired to live distinctively amongst the world in which he's placed you. That you too wouldn't try and separate yourself from the culture. That you wouldn't try and just jump into the culture and become like the culture. But rather, that you would live distinctively where God has placed you. With your family, your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for you. My prayer too is that you would understand ultimate authority, that you wouldn't get things backwards in your life. You wouldn't be overly concerned about what your friends think about you or what your family, your co-workers, what they think about you. You'd be worried about who God is and what he thinks about you, that you would have fear in the right place. I pray that you'd be inspired to allow your obedience to bring glory to God. In the midst of hard situations, not knowing the outcome, that your obedience would bring glory to God. But more than all of those things, I pray that you would be inspired and celebrate today the fact that you are a part of a bigger story. That yeah, you can live a life, but the reason that we live a life that is all the things like Daniel is because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. That you would be motivated by the love of a God and Savior who was more perfect than Daniel. A guy who lived a life that was more faithful than Daniel, Jesus. And so my hope is that today that you will walk out of here celebrating the fact that, yeah, you may be messed up. Yeah, you may have your shortcomings. Yeah, you may have your issues. But Jesus is better and he is the one who stands in your place. That's something that's worth celebrating. Christians should be the happiest people on the face of the earth, right? Because, yeah, we don't have things figured out, but Jesus stands in our inconsistency. He stands in our brokenness. He stands in the gap where we cannot be enough. And so I want for you to, more than anything today, to walk out of here knowing Jesus has done an amazing work in your life and throughout history, and that's something that's worth celebrating. Let me pray for us this morning, then I'll give you guys some direction.